Well, good morning to all of you in our worship center here and those of you who are joining us over in the modern service. Good morning to you as well. We are in week three of our series in Antioch, and hopefully as you have been in your life groups and come in, you get a little bit of uh, understanding of what is meant by this video. Perhaps you even saw this video of water being a powerful, powerful source as it symbolizes the gospel getting to places where it is not. And this is what this church at Antioch did. This church at Antioch was a channel or was a, a conduit for the gospel to get to places where it previously had not been. They come to preach at Antioch. The gospel had never been preached there before. And what was started there in that church permeated the entire church body, but then it began to have ripple effects out into the community. And then it expanded to the ends of the earth. And that's what we want to see in our church as well. We want to see the gospel move through Taylor's First Baptist Church like that. It is in certain ways, but we want to see even more of a movement of the gospel moving through us to places where it is not. And in order for the church at Antioch to become a place where the gospel was moving and permeating and saturating new places, in order for that to happen, the church had to be innovative. It had to be innovative. It had to think differently about getting the gospel to where it wasn't. That word innovation, I was thinking about uh, this word this past week, and I, I saw an illustration in it last night in our neighborhood. So uh, a group of boys were headed down two doors down from our house, and they were uh, about to go to... Um, the Foster's home, and the Foster's home is a highlight of Halloween because when the Foster's give candy, they just simply don't give those little itty-bitty bars of candy. And if you gave those little itty-bitty bars of candy, that's fine, that's fine, but here's what the Foster's do, you ready? The Foster's every single year, and people drive into our neighborhood to, to, do, to uh, receive this, they hand out chocolate bars that are not just the king-size bars. These are the bars that you find for cooking. These are those big blocks of chocolate that you see there, and it's a beautiful, beautiful sight. So they give that every single year, so that's the setup. So here are these boys coming into, uh, they're knocking on the, the foster's door, and out bounds Leo the dog. Now, Leo is not your normal, everyday, average dog, all right? If you were to see Leo, you would see a dog that stands about this tall, He's a golden doodle, all right? And, a gold, and, he, and he's got this white hair, and it's beautiful, and it's just so manicured. And, and he, I think he's half horse. I think that's what he is. Because he had, when, he, when he runs, he's got this mane that just kind of flows, and, and he's just kind of this mythical figure when you see him out there. I mean, he's just kind of out of a comic book almost. It's this beautiful dog. So outbounds Leo. Now, I don't know if Leo had been in the, in the chocolate or not, but he was pretty fired up to be outside. He was running all over the yard. And poor Mr. Foster was doing his best to kind of tame him. He was kind of chuckling. His wife was kind of chuckling. The boys were, you know, everyone's just kind of laughing at Leo running all around the yard. Isn't that cute? And, and finally, Mr. Foster had had enough. <laughs> and Mr. Foster said, okay, that's it. 
if any of you boys can help me capture Leo, you are going to receive an extra bar of chocolate. You've never seen more energy in your entire life. It was like, boom, those boys were all over that yard. I mean, they were zipping all over the place. They finally caught him up against the garage. But that's innovation. Innovation is taking resources that you have, adopting new methods to accomplish your mission. And this is what the church does, and this is what the church has done all throughout history, because you know what? The church, the way we do church now is not the way that they did church back then. Do you realize that? The church is continually innovating. The church is continually moving forward. The church is continually changing. The question is at what pace and for what purpose? And Antioch gives us a wonderful reminder of a church that was innovative, a church that used what it had and adopted new methods in order to fulfill the mission of the church, which was to get the gospel to where it was not. And here is the warning for all churches. The warning for all churches, just not our church, but for all churches, is that we become steady and stable and concerned about sustaining ourselves more than getting the gospel out. Jeff Orge, the, the author of this study, the author of the book that we're working through together, wrote this. The Western church, particularly mainline and evangelical churches in North America, has become more of an institution than a movement. The early church, including Antioch, was more a movement than an institution. What's the difference? In a movement, the focus is on accomplishing some greater good outside the needs of the members. Institutions, on the other hand, often claim an external purpose, but create systems and processes mostly designed to sustain themselves. See the difference? The church at Antioch was, an inst or was a movement of the gospel. The gospel, yes, moving and moving inside the body and building up believers in the body, but then it just didn't stop there. It moved outside. And here's the warning for us, is that instead of conduits or channels for a movement of the spirit and the gospel, that we simply become the gatekeepers of religious practice. That's the warning. And instead of being a channel for the gospel to move freely through us, we become a gatekeeper of a religious practice that is good for us, but is not necessarily good for getting the gospel out. This is the challenge for the church since the, from the very beginning. So here's the principle. Here's the principle we want to see this morning about innovation in the church. That we have a never-changing message. Never changing message. The good news of the gospel never changes. It is true. It is authoritative. It is powerful. It can change your life. That is the message we have. It can change the, your family. It can change communities. It can change people. That is the message of the gospel. But the message of the gospel, the never changing message, should always be given in ever-ending or never-ending methodologies. Let me say that again. The never-changing message should be packaged in, moved out in, 
ever-changing methodologies. There we go. The message never changes, but the methodologies do. And this is what we see in the early church. This is what we see in Antioch. How so? Turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 this morning. And we're going to keep going to the well here with Antioch. We're going to keep drawing up water that can help us see what this church is about. But what does innovation in a church look like? Read with me. If you have your Bibles, if not, you can go ahead and find them in your digital device. Or maybe the pew rack in front of you here over in the modern worship service. Uh, just raise your hand if you need a copy of the Word of God. By the way, as you're turning there, um, our friend Scott Norman, who leads worship over there, six-year anniversary today at Taylor's First Baptist Church, along with his anniversary. So if you see Scott Norman in the hallways, they're clapping for you, Scott, if you can't hear him, uh, for Scott and Farrah. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 this morning. Here's what the Word of God says. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen down in Jerusalem, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, isn't that interesting? They're going to go and they're going to preach the gospel, but they're only going to preach it to the Jewish people. Why? This is important. This is important as, as, we, as we work through the very first thought here. They preached the gospel to the Jews only because that's what all the early church really, really understood or knew or did. That, that the church in Jerusalem was a, a, a Jewish movement. Do you realize that? The, the apostles, the disciples were Jewish men. They come out of a Jewish faith, a Jewish religion. And so therefore the people, the first followers of Jesus are Jewish people. And so when it says that they would go and preach the gospel to the Jewish people only... That is just simply what they did. But then notice in, verse, in the next verse what happens in verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now they're going to preach to the Gentiles. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turn to the Lord. Thought number one this morning, what does innovation in a church look like? Innovation is fueled by spirit-filled courage to reach the lost. This is what drives innovation, is the Spirit of God filling, as we saw last week, filling and leading people who listen to the Holy Spirit, they're listening to the Holy Spirit, and then they rise up with boldness and with courage. They, they have insight to see people as lost and in need of the gospel and this is what happens in here come these men some come from uh, Jerusalem because they're persecuted others come from other nations and they don't do what they traditionally had done just preach to the Jewish people only remember here's the Jewish religion temple sacrifices outside of Jerusalem synagogues but these people are beginning to understand there is no way we are going to reach the Gentiles there is no way we're going to reach those people like us if we don't innovate, if we don't adopt our methodology with our message and give it to those who desperately need it. And courage is needed in order to do this. Let me give you just an example of where this is happening in Taylor's First Baptist Church because here's the beautiful thing about our church. I was sharing with some, some, uh, some folks earlier today. Here's the beautiful thing about, about Taylor's. We have such a, a broad, wide 
history and we have so many wonderful generations represented here and we have so many different types of, of thinking when it comes to church because of our ages and because of our backgrounds that can be a beautiful thing but the challenge is for all of us to systematically understand that we are called to innovate for the sake of the gospel but it's happening it's happening let me give you one example a gentleman in our church by the name of lee carver Lee um, has a heart for the homeless people. In fact, uh, two weeks ago, we showed you a video of the Phillips and the ministry that's going on downtown. But uh, Lee contacted me uh, this past fall, and he said, listen, will you go down with me and, and see some of the people that I've been ministering to? And I asked him, I said, yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. And, and when I got in the car with him, we met up here on a Saturday, two, two Saturdays ago. When we got in the car, I said, Lee, um, I know we have this ministry downtown, um, but also you're a part of this as well. He said, yeah, he says, what they do is wonderful down there, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit's just been leading me to minister individually to these homeless folks. I said, well, where do you find them? And he says, we're, we're going to go see. So we go driving across down by Rutherford Road back in that section there behind Wade Hampton, and um, Lee begins to pull into, into parking lots and pull into places that I would have never found before in Taylor's. We, we begin to go under bridges and under overpasses, and we begin to see people sleeping, and we, we get to see their, or rather we see their tents that are set up under these bridges that I drive over every single day. We, we begin to go through these rabbit trails and, and, and on into the brush behind, behind some of these bridges and, and, and really along railroad tracks. I mean, there, there, was, there was a time when we were just walking right down this railroad track. Don't tell the police we do that, all right? We're walking down, and then we dive in, and, and we begin to meet these homeless individuals. And what's so amazing is these folks have their own little community. They know who, who the other homeless people are. Have you met so-and-so, or have you seen so-and-so? And Leah, I'm so proud of him. He, he just has built relationships with these people, and he knows who these homeless folks are. And, and he's like, yeah, well, I've seen so-and-so. Have you seen so-and-so? No, no. And it's this little community, and they're peppered all throughout Taylor's. I would have never, ever seen it. I would have never, ever had the courage to, to, to walk in these places and go meet these people unless someone like Lee was innovative enough to say, the Spirit has called me to take the gospel to these individuals. When we were, we were driving by, uh, down Wade Hampton and, and we go on Wade Hampton Boulevard and we go into the Walmart parking lot that's over there. And there's this green truck that's sitting there, and Lee goes, he goes, there's a homeless guy in there. I'm like, I'm like, dude, are, are you Yoda? I mean, you, uh, what, you, you, can't, you can see in the car? I mean, what, what is this? This is unbelievable. We go into brushes? We go, where? He said, no, no, no. He goes, um, he said, this is a guy that um, a couple of months ago, we, I went to him, and I said, are you hungry? And I, he said, um, he was real gruff. He was real mean with me. He said, I just haven't really, really since then gone back to him. And I, he said, what do you think? I said, I think we should go see him. Let's pray about it and, and, and go visit with him. We prayed, Lord, give us favor. Give us openness. And um, we pull up in this man. He's probably in his late 50s and early 60s. And he, he's eating fast food. And he's got his stuff in the back. And you can tell... Uh, He's had, he's, it's been rough for, for these folks, all of them. And he says, you know, um, 
I, I, I've lost my job, and I, I work with my hands. And he said, um, I, I, I don't know where to find work. And I said, listen, listen, we have some guys at our church that might be able to connect you and help you. I, I'm going to give your name, Lee. Get, get, let's give his name to some, some folks here at Taylor's, and, and maybe there's something we can do. And, but then he said this, and he said, every single morning, every single morning, I just am thinking that today is a day where I might find hope. I said, today's your lucky day. <laughs> I said, can I tell you why? I said, because here's a hope that you can find in Christ. We just shared the gospel with him. He, he works with his hands, and he built, he said it, he built, helped build the bridge that was downtown over the Reedy River. He said, I work with steel. And he says, I helped put the steel together to build that bridge. And I said, I said, listen, I said, listen, there is a bridge that has been built. Just as you built a bridge to connect people from one side of the river to the other, there is a bridge that has been built from God to you. Do you realize that? And this bridge has is, is, is been laid by the cross of Christ and by the blood of Christ because he loves you. There is hope for you. Do you know that? He said, yeah. We pray he becomes a follower of Jesus, but here's the point. This is what I love about this story is that just like Antioch, just like those men that are unnamed there in that city that go preaching and teaching because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what, this is what a transformational church is filled with people who have the boldness and have the insight to say the gospel isn't getting out there. The gospel isn't getting from me to, to my cul-de-sac. The gospel isn't getting from me to my, my workplace. The gospel isn't getting out. And, and here's what we measure as a church. Here's what, here's the, here's what, is, what is the singular focus of many churches. This is how many people are in the room. And that's important. But God does not measure success solely by how many people are in the room. What God looks at is a church that says the people who are in the room take the gospel to those who are outside of the room. That's what innovation is. How will God use you? What story will you be able to tell that God is using you to, to minister to someone who doesn't, doesn't have the gospel? Secondly, innovation sees the potential in people to build the body and grow the kingdom. Read verses 22 through 26 with me. The, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. How that, this is amazing, that, that Jews and Gentiles are being saved and are they meeting together and what's happening? So they send Barnabas to Antioch and when he comes, verse 23, he sees the grace of God and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here's what innovation set does. It sees the potential in people to build the body and to grow the kingdom. Here's the amazing thing about what Barnabas does here. He comes from Jerusalem, and he could have said, listen, you, you Jews from Jerusalem, let's send some teachers down. But instead, he goes and he finds Paul. Do you realize who Paul is? 
Paul, if you're new to Bible study, was a guy who helped persecute the followers of Jesus when they were first starting out. Here was a man who was so passionate about stamping out Christianity, but now he's come to faith in Christ. Now he's being trained, and now this former terrorist of Christianity is now being brought into the church. Can you imagine that? You are going to invite who to teach us? Do, do you realize who that is? That is the one who formerly wanted to kill us and persecute us. Barnabas is like, we got it. We got it. But there's incredible potential in this guy, Paul. There's incredible potential for this guy, Paul, to come into this body and to help grow the body. There's incredible potential for him to have influence on us with his passion now for Jesus and the gospel getting out. Now that, can, that might be able to influence us. And sure enough, Paul and Barnabas are the first missionary team that are sent out. Do you realize that? Paul comes in, Paul teaches, Paul trains, there are leaders, and then Paul turns around and then he goes on his way. We don't have much time to develop this point. We're going to talk about it next week. But here's what an innovative church does. An innovative church sees life groups as important. It sees our Wednesday night classes. It sees all that we do to come in and to study the Word of God. It sees all of our, our gathering times where we're with people as important, whether it's women's Bible studies in the mornings or, or men's Bible studies at night or in the evening. All of those things are important and vital because the Word of God is absolutely necessary to growing and making disciples. But if we do not see people producing followers of Jesus as the end result rather than just simply people who intake the word of God, then we are missing what an innovative transformational church is. Because an innovative transformational church sees people being produced who produce other believers as essential. Number three, Innovation produces spiritual ripple effects in the community around the church. Innovation produces spiritual ripple effects in the community around the church. That last phrase of verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. If we were to ask people around Taylor's, what do you call us? What do you think they would say? That's a great conversation for lunch. If, you were, if we were to walk out here in the community, if you were to go with me and we were to walk and knock on doors and say, what do you think about this church? What do you call them? What would they say? I think there'd be some wonderful stories. There'd be some wonderful stories like the, um, yesterday Sheree came home and she was all excited because she um, met a lady at the checkout counter and somehow they started talking about, you know, Sheree being here and being a pastor's wife at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Oh, I, I know that church. That's where we all just kind of go, oh, all right, let's <laughs> brace, right? I know that church. She says, I live right down Taylor's Road. And Sheree began to talk with her, and she's a single mom who um, is divorced or is getting a divorce from her, her husband, and she has her kids here. You ready for this? This is amazing. Her daughter, her daughter was converted, was saved in a good news club, but she has also been able to come for our single mom's oil changer, either knows about our single mom's oil changer. Isn't that beautiful? We're trying to share the love of Christ with her, but here's the thing. Here's what her heart cries out for. Sheree's telling the story. She says, um, is there a place for me, though, 
to be with other people and study the word of God? Is there there a place for people like me to study the word of God? These things are wonderful. My daughter's been transformed. The single mom's will change. It's amazing. It's like like the lady I was at the Habitat for Humanity dedication of this neighborhood, which is is right down this road right here. Lady comes up to me. You're a pastor at Taylor's. Yeah. She goes, you know what I love about your church? What? Single moms will change. You greasy monkeys out there that are doing that thing, you are doing an incredible service for the body. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm wondering. She's at Habitat for Humanity neighborhood, which is over here. 32 homes. 24 of them are Habitat. The other, uh, the other homes are for another ministry here in town. Here is my question as I'm sitting there. I'm dedicating this neighborhood, right? Who is reaching them? Who, who, who is going to reach these single moms with kids? And, and, and so here, here's the challenge for us as a church. Here's the challenge. That we have been given so much grace in the gospel. But how are we going to innovate to see the grace of the gospel get out to reach more people? Here's an example from video. Priscilla Moore. Priscilla's married to Lou. Great, great couple. And Priscilla works at Upward. But I want you to hear her story, and some of you are involved in this in a home right here at Taylor's. Every week we've been showing a piece of how just people, just you in the pew, led by the Holy Spirit, are having an impact on our community. Let's watch this video right now. Hi, my name is Priscilla Moore, and I am working with a ministry called Just For Today. And it's really a cool ministry. It is uh, a ministry for women that are homeless, that are trying to get back on their feet, that have most have been, most of the time been involved with drugs or some type of addiction. It's been very exciting to see how he has used this, these two different homes and tailors um, for women that really need to get back on their feet. And what Taylor's has done is really gotten involved in spending time with these women. Once a month we go and we just share Christ and love on them, share devotions, eat a break bread together, eat breakfast, and um, just talk about what's going on in their lives. Ministry is not many times what I thought it would be. I think I'm a very um, fast-paced. I like to get things done. I like to be productive. Where can we go that will just be, will knock it out of the park and um, people will really be interested in Christ and accepting Him. And I'm not sure that's always where ministry is at many times. I think Christ wants us to be obedient and willing to be His face and His hands and His feet, no matter the outcome because really the outcome is in his control, not in mine. So this has been a very interesting adventure for me to uh, spend time with women that I don't have anything I can relate to except I can share the unconditional love of Christ with them. And that is really what my aim is. Um, Sometimes it works out really well and we can really sense the Holy Spirit there in those rooms and, and other times it just doesn't really, we don't, there's not really much going on, or so we think. But I think where the end is and the outcome is, is letting Christ work through us in His time and in His way so that He gets the glory. 
not us. And so it's been a learning experience for me. I've really enjoyed it. It's been hard sometimes, but I think the bottom line for me has been obedience and doing it because I love Christ and I know that He will be glorified if I just follow Him. It's just another reminder of how someone is thinking differently about their time, about their service to Christ, about their family, for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to list this four thing, and then I want to go to Mark 2 real quickly and just leave with you Jesus' words as we go. Here's number four. I'll list it out for those of you who take notes. Innovation requires flexibility in receiving and practicing new applications of the gospel. Acts chapter 15. An amazing story. There's conflict in the church, conflict with the church in Jerusalem. Here's what in an innovative church does. It requires flexibility in receiving and practicing how the gospel is applied. Now, Mark chapter 2 this morning, and here's where I want to end. Go ahead and turn there. We're just going to, I'm going to leave you with Jesus, and I'm going to leave you with my heart, and then we're going to sing together and head home. Mark chapter 2. Here's what Jesus has to say about an innovative church. How do we get there? How do we innovate? What, where does our heart need to be in order for us to when it comes to our preferences for how we worship and how we do life groups and what we do with our time and all of these things? How do we, how do we see church through a lens that says, yes, we can be faithful to the body but also faithful to the gospel, getting outside of the body as well. Mark chapter 2, here's what I love about Scripture. It's not only powerful, but the context in which it sets gives us such a wonderful setting and a wonderful story for the, the, the Word of God. So in Mark chapter 2, in verse 1, you have this. You have uh, this uh, story of, of a man who is lame, and these four men come, and they tear off the roof of the house. Remember that story? That they can't get in because Jesus is pressed with so many people, and he's teaching in this house. And so the men climb up to the roof, and they tear off the roof, and they let the man come down right in front of Jesus. It's a powerful story. I mean, you talk about innovation. These guys were innovative to the point of being destructive, all right? Don't recommend that, but they were innovative. They, they tear the roof off, bring them to Jesus. And Jesus heals them there, and the authorities say, who are you? And he's, do you have, really have this authority? And Jesus says, I have the authority not only to, to heal somebody, but to forgive sins. And the man gets up, and he, he goes away. Second story, right after, Mark, after that story in Mark, in Matthew, and in Luke, as, 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 as where we're, we're going with this. Here comes the second story. Um, Matthew, he's a tax collector. He's considered a sinner. He's considered someone who is hated by the religious people. He's hated by the Jewish people, and he's sitting there with all of his buddies. He's sitting there with all of the, the tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus comes to him, and he says, Matthew, or Mark calls him Levi, come, follow me. And Matthew's life is changed forever, and the lives of his friends, I pray, were changed forever because this one man who was, on, uh, who was outcast, who was, who was someone who would not be considered moral or religious, Jesus saw him, Jesus called him, he followed him, and Matthew gives us his first gospel and becomes one of the twelve. But then we come to this next section, all right? This is the order of Scripture, all right? You got it? Innovation. You got P. 
people. And now watch this, verse 19 um, of Mark chapter 2. I'm sorry, verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? In other words, Jesus, why are we spiritually in tune with the disciplines we need to grow close to God? Now, fasting is a wonderful thing. Fasting is a necessary discipline in the life of the church. It is a command that Jesus says when you fast. But here the religious leaders are coming to him, and even John the Baptist's disciples are coming to him, saying, Jesus, why are you out of step with the religious practices that make us close, get closer to God? Why aren't you like that? Because you claim to be from God, but we don't see you doing anything that would give us a clue that you are in line with our religious beliefs and our religious practices. Jesus, can you explain yourself? And Jesus doesn't explain himself. He, he explains himself. He teaches. Here's what he says, verse 19. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is, is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So here's what he's saying. You are worried about your religious practice, but what you are forgetting is the new life and the celebration of the joy symbolized in a wedding, symbolizing the fact that Jesus, the bridegroom, has now come and he has brought new life and his gospel to earth. And there is celebration there because Jesus is at the center of that. And what he's saying to them is, listen, what you've done is you have taken your spiritual disciplines and your religious practices and you have guarded them and you have kept them and you have followed them, but you have forgotten the new life of the gospel that comes as I enter into, into the world and bring a new kingdom. You've forgotten the power and the joy of the gospel is what he's saying to us. And this is what is needed for us to innovate as a church, to put Jesus at the center, to put the gospel and the new life and the transforming power and the celebration that comes with that at the center of our church. The gospel must be at the center. But Jesus goes on. He says, verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. He says, okay, um, I have come to bring new life and the gospel in a new way. It's not like the old Jewish way. It's not like the old practices of, uh, of the temple and the synagogue. It's going to be radically different. And, and it's going to be incredibly powerful. But here's the thing, that if you try and apply the gospel to your old methods and your old measures and your old systems and your old ways religious leaders, it's not going to work. He says this patch, you take a patch of, of a new cloth and you put it to an, to an old garment. The new patch hasn't been shrunk yet. It's still strong. And when you put it to that old garment and then you wash that old garment, the new patch is so strong that it begins to tear away from that old fabric. And neither one is good anymore, neither the patch nor the old garment. He gives another illustration. Verse 22, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. I think this morning, to, to me as your pastor, to you this morning, to our staff, to our ministers, to our leaders, leaders to everybody this morning, Here, here's what Jesus is saying to us. That he brings a new gospel. He brings a, a, a new life of transforming power. But if it is not put into methods and if it is not applied in ways in which it can get to people, then that new gospel is simply watered down for ourselves and kept to ourselves. The old wineskins, they used to take animals and skin them and they'd hang up the, the skins and and then they would eventually tie it together and those old wineskins would become brittle and they would become hard and they would be inflexible and Jesus says when you take that new wine that is has life and energy and it's gassy and bubbly and it's moving and you put it in that old wineskin it's just going to tear right through but if you take that new wine that, is, that has energy and life and you put it into a, a skin that is pliable and soft and can, is flexible and can move and can be shaped, then you are going to have wine and it's going to be protected. Here, here, here's, here's the challenge for all of us this morning. That we have hearts that are soft and pliable. We have hearts that are obedient to the Holy Spirit. We have hearts that are open for the gospel to be moving through us in different and in fresh and in new ways. Because if not, if not, here's what will happen. We'll simply become guardians, gatekeepers of our religion. We'll simply become guardians and gatekeepers of, of, our, uh, uh, of our practices. We'll simply kind of be defenders of what is good for us instead of being soft and open and ready for the gospel to come rushing in us and through us to a world that desperately needs it. This is what Antioch did. This is our calling as well. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy to do. But this is why your pastor is determined to listen to the Holy Spirit. This is why your pastor, week two, is determined that the Holy Spirit is the power source. And I'm calling you to call upon the Holy Spirit to fill and to use you so that together we can walk forward in seeing the gospel move out in fresh and new ways. This is what we need. Will you pray with me right now about that? Father, we simply ask you this morning that you would speak to each heart, every, every minister listening this morning, every staff member, every teacher, leader, 
every single person in the pew this morning that we would take this message to heart, Father. That you would see a heart inside of us that comes to tailors, not for ourselves, but for the sake of building up the body and seeing the gospel get to those who don't have it. Father, help us to understand all that we do as a church with all of the many, many things that take place here. May we offer them to you and say, will you shape them? Would you take our life group? Would you take my Bible study? Would you take my accountability group? Would you take our worship? Would you, would you take everything about us? Father, and would you shape us to be a vehicle through which the gospel comes rushing through? Because, Father, there are people here who, who, who are on the margins, who are on the edges, and, and they need to be refreshed in, in, in what you are doing in us. They need to be built up. They need to be strengthened. But, Father, there needs to be grace and strength so that the body can fulfill the mission that your son has given us, and that is to get the gospel to more and more people. It's a mighty big task, but you're a mighty big God. Jesus, you said it, I will build my church. Will you please build it? And we pray this prayer now in Christ's name. Amen.